This is our People Podcast, telling the stories behind South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Our People Podcast. I'm Fiona Thompson. I'm one of uh, the Trust's communications officers. And today we are featuring the work of our performance and information service team, I'm joined by Deputy Data Assurance Manager, Vicky Carr, and one of our data analysts, Ruth Hall. Hello. Hi. Hello. Um, first of all, would you mind taking me through what the setup of your team is, uh, what jobs or roles are in there, and what each person takes care of? Okay, shall I start? Yeah, you go first. Okay, so we've got three teams, um, Data Quality and Assurance, we've got Information Services and Performance. Um, I work in the Data Quality and Assurance team. Um, ultimately, our role is to ensure that the data is recorded accurately in Meditech, our um, hospital information system. We work with services to ensure that if there's any gaps in the data, we try and plug them. And if there's any errors in the data, we work with the services to understand and correct them and get them to do that at source for themselves. Um, in our team, we've got the job roles that we have is sort of... Um, clerks, information officers, analysts, and then managers. That's kind of consistent across the, the whole department. Um, do you want to talk about information services? Um, yeah, uh, just briefly, just in terms of what we're responsible for. Um, certainly, so um, my name's Ruth um, Paul. I'm a data analyst within the information services team. Um, Vicky and I work both work under the same um, team and we'll both work under Alison King, who's our director of performance. Um, in terms of my sort of little sub team, um, that's headed up by our recently appointed report manager, Paul Harrison, um, and he overlooks our function. Um, it's subheaded by Lisa Wright, um, and she focuses on the acute side, um, and Ian Wilkes, who focuses on the community side. And when I say side, um, <coughs> Our role essentially is to provide information, uh, whether it be on a long-term basis or an ad hoc basis, and that can be internal requests or external requests. Um, it could be from NHS England, it could be from a consultant, it could be from a clinician. It, it, it can come from a lot of different sources and where they are to stitch up the pieces in a sense and work towards a spec to give that person the information that they need for whatever task that is. Um, the managerial team, um, so Paul, Lisa, Ian, they're supported by a group of analysts, which includes myself and some of my other colleagues, um, and information officers, and, and we're ultimately responsible for the accurate and timely compilation of the data sets, um, and again, either on a, a long-term or an ad hoc basis. I generally deal with ad hoc um, requests, which I know we're going to come to later, so I won't dribble on too much about that. <laughs> and when we're talking well, about yeah. acute, are we talking about hospitals? Is that what that means? Yes. And then yes. community teams, they're the ones that are out and about caring for our patients out in the community and are based at various different locations that we Exactly, right. yeah. And then you've got the likes of outpatients who may fall in one or the other. Oh, um, okay. So that's a bit of a grey area for us anyways. I'm sure a consultant would laugh at me if I said that's a grey area. Certainly not for them, <laughs> but I mean, who handles that data <laughs> when I say that? And when we're talking about performance and information services, are they kind of two things that come under the same roof or are they one and the same? How does it work if you have different teams within that umbrella? So, so, so where I've spoke about data quality and assurance mm. and Ruth's mentioned information services, there's another section of the team as well. So you've got yeah. the performance team as well. So the way I kind of like to think of it is we, we make sure that the information's right at source. Yeah. If the information's 
correct and accurate and complete in the system, Roots Team Information Services can extract that for all of the external submissions. And then you've got the performance team who look at our national targets sort of holistically, um, and then they can see um, how we are doing against other trusts and they can do sort of future forecasting to see um, like what, what's sort of on the horizon and what we need to put in place to make sure that our services are sort of up and running and, and ready to go to handle that activity and that work. That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they would be more responsible um, for proactive work. So they would be looking at the future, trying to gauge what's happened, but also trying to understand what could happen, um, what's going well, but more importantly, where we can look at risks um, and deal with them, probably more in terms of resource. There is a, Sometimes there, there are grey lines in terms of um, crossover and potentially some people might be doing things but I think we'll come to that later on in terms of challenges ultimately we, we are one big data family yeah. um the way that we run um this side of of work is is scrutinizing data making sure it's clean as as you've just mentioned Vicky and just trying to, to use it to support our colleagues particularly in the clinical team um with their decision making ultimately and that's what we do as a yeah. big family because what does what you do help our trust day-to-day running, moving forward, reflecting on things. I presume that's all part of what you do is in the mix, but what's the kind of real purpose of what you do? Yeah, so um, for example, on the information services, our team would be responsible for the accurate completion and upload of statutory responses. Um, now, statutory responses are, if we could think of it as a big list of questions around a particular topic, sometimes you get these requests that there might be from an internal person just to give you an example um the community team they like to keep track of IMS so they can see when i say IMS, immunization so they can see how much uptake they've had is there an area that they need to focus on is there a particular cohort of patients that aren't uptaken on immunizations and why is that is there a, is there a need for you know a better understanding or is it something else that we need to look at is it just getting the message out there just as an example there there's lots of other ones there's the 65 live at the moment um, another side of that would be things that you may have seen in the news, particularly over COVID, so the COVID figures that would come from our team. So there's daily submissions and they would go to NHS England. That might be around things like those topics or um, situational reporting. So we can see how um, our acute teams coping. Is there an influx in AA attendances? All of those national figures, they would come from, from a lot of them would come from our team, certainly not all of them, but a lot of them would come from our team and be vetted by Vicky's team to make sure that they're accurate. Um, another area that we look, focus on is creation of launch pads. Um, now, launch pads, they're set up to support our colleagues, both clinical and non-clinical again. Um, the reports that we, that we currently have are accessed via our intranet page. Um, so if you've got a professional interest within a unique data set that we have, then we would be able to grant you access to get that information and use that data to support you with your day-to-day work. Um, or so almost like a, a website in yes. its own right that's accessible to our colleagues. Exactly, yeah. So um, there might be a particular aspect that goes out for a need for a report that will tell you... Um, information on reattend we've just been discussing that earlier on hence that's why it's come to my head um so so is that people who have come to for example ed for emergency department yeah. and then for whatever reason they've come back 
and we're looking at the reasons why they may exactly. come back to us yes to try yeah. and work out where things are going right right where things are going wrong exactly or hospital admissions that have then came back as emergency admissions that's related within a certain time period so all of those reports are available to everyone and if you are listening to this and you're a, a clinician that needs a report like that to your own spec then you can get in touch with the launchpad team and they can have a discussion with you about that and they can sort of set that up for you so in addition to the launchpad um, we have to get a lot of ad hocs and freedom of information requests um, in fact we, we get a lot of those in regularly as in every day um, so an ad hoc that would be defined as a data set which would be needed on a one-off basis or it might not have the exact same requirements in each return so for example I've just been doing a lot of work on the NHS um benchmark and network um scheme that's been running and we take part in that and that's about comparing your performance with other trusts and you might think that's going to be exactly the same questions every time we submit but often there might be a change in the ball the goal post and um, in terms of what's a priority what's what's a, a big topic at the moment within the nhs um from a data quality and assurance perspective let's say um a lot of our work is correction, fixing things in the system. So if we've got a patient who's been discharged incorrectly, where the people you're in, we undo those discharges. If we've got multiple records for patients, where the people who merge them. We fix things, we correct things, and um, that's happening in real time. We review common mistakes. So if we know we've always got a problem with a particular issue, we'll get a report from Ruth's team. We want to identify that cohort of patients and we've got a team of people who rattle through reams of lists and do those corrections daily. So we're proactively um, sort of making the changes before we get the phone calls later down the line. The purpose of that is really to make sure that the the, the individual patient record is maintained, it's accurate, it's complete. You can see a clear journey of the patient pathway. So if a clinician was reviewing that patient record, they know uh, what time they arrived, who that clinician was who saw them, um, all of the documentation on the record was there, it was on the right attendance. Um, and, and that's it in a nutshell, like I say. Um, so you mark our schoolwork, basically? Yeah, pretty much. Um, we've got people who will review that workload. So if we, if, if like I say, so we've got reports, we've got a team of our information officers will review what our clerks have, have corrected. And they'll say, all right, we've got a common theme with a particular area. They're not um, tracing patients' NHS numbers. Why is that? Is it that they're not using PDS, this personal demographic system? Um, correctly and then they'll go and do some work with them or they'll send them some documentation to help them out a little bit. Um, like I said, so our, our common themes are when I talk about missing NHS numbers, um, the impact of that is if we don't trace a patient properly, we've got, um, we've got a system that sits centrally, it's called the National Spine Summary Care Record and that's um, every patient who's registered with a GP practice has this record and um, you'll have one NHS number in an ideal world, we do have some duplication, but we'll not get into that. Um, and if a patient's recorded, registered properly in Meditech, every time, and if when a patient comes to one of our reception areas, as long as we search for them patient demographics correctly, it'll always link us back to that patient record and we just keep on building on that. So it's like our passport or registration plate. Yeah. It's kind of like it's ours and we take it through yeah, our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that record, it contains things like our blood group, our allergies, and um, what our problems are. And, and it has that all together. And as soon as somebody sort of comes along and then doesn't search that record correctly or creates an additional 
um, entry of that patient. This is where we're sort of running into difficulties. So you'll, you'll end up with duplicate records. And um, if you've got, say, something like um, an allergy listed on your record, like I'm allergic to penicillin, and then somebody picks up the coming, say, let's say, through ED, accident emergency, and um, they pick up the wrong record and it doesn't have all of that clinical information, and then they're given penicillin, that could have quite a catastrophic impact mm. on patient care mm. so it's things like that so, so like i said so we're correcting the record that that's the service that we provide um and if it's all right and if everything's there and it's accurate then ruth can do a marvelous job of extracting that information exactly in my own role um with my former journalist hat on uh, we get quite a lot of media inquiries into our team and that brings me to your door because mm-hmm. um, i do my best to check the data but really i need an expert eye so often i come to you and ask you to check through the figures yeah. um but why is it important we check statistics and what how do they help us tell the story because mm-hmm. i know as a journalist figures are everything like you build your story around facts and figures but sometimes there isn't the 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 detail in there yeah like it's really hard just looking at numbers to really see the finer details so how can you help people like me and in turn the media get their facts right yeah, I think whenever we get these types of requests coming through, the first thing that we do is we look at the scenarios around the, the statistics, because as you say, it's easy to pull out a statistic, but when you work in a, a healthcare setting, you certainly sharp realise that, particularly with regards to medicine, anything to do with clinical care, it, it can not always show a true picture of what's going on. You might get one particular statistic, but it might be supported with something else, which is actually telling the full story. So whenever you come to me, it's more about finding out the full story and trying to look at all of the different scenarios um, or all of the other areas surrounding that particular request. So um, if it's an increase in referrals, is it that we're offering a, a new service, for example, or is it that we're capturing the, the, the patient differently? Um, is the patient on a waiting list because we've had more funding in that area? There might be lots of things that are going on. We've just had COVID, of course, that's caused a lot of issues as well. Um, and I think we've you know, come, through, come through that really, really well and, and in a really positive way. But there was a lot of media inquiries and that's probably what you saw and what you felt as well if you're in your own role. Um, and I think during that time, when you do look at the bigger picture, it, it never feels as... Um, you know, straight line as what the the press inquiry might be about. I suppose you're working on the other end of it. Yeah, now I, I in say your both sides of it. Life, yeah, yeah you because on the, other the thing side is, of as, a, as a as a as a journalist, you build your story around the facts you've got. But yeah, you're seeing people to have conversations with me and, and others who have said, well, actually, what these figures don't include is this whole other situation that is linked to it. So that helps me understand, yeah. get my head around it. And then helps me then have those conversations with journalists to say, yes, this figure in black and white says this, but actually, yes, what you what you can't see from these figures is this situation. So I had a, 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 a there was a one recently where I was some figures about something included a whole other bunch of figures that it, it, it perhaps shouldn't have, but because of the way the NHS asked us to record figures, yeah, um, so it made us look like made it look like a situation was very different to the reality. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that's without going into the detail, but that helped me understand it and therefore put that argument forward that, look, I know it says this, but actually there's this whole other situation that you need to be aware of because your narrative will be wrong if you, if you put it in that particular fashion, which is really helpful. Definitely, um, yeah. But it must, it, it must be hard to, to look at figures sometimes and think, well, it says that. 
Yeah, it, well, of course, and because we're not none of us mm. in this room are clinicians, and I think that's why it's really important that we have those relationships with mm. the with the clinical side. They are the, the crux of what we do, obviously. Um, and at the end of the day, it's down to the patient, and all we care about in this trust is the patient, and you know who's and how it's going to impact them. I would say we do look at the data diligently. That's it's just a given. Um, but what I do like about this trust is we're also very open. So we will say if that if it is that if that is what we've reported, that is what we've reported. These are the reasons why. But we'll also look at it from a level of integrity where we might say, okay, how do we address this? Or if we if we need to, if that makes sense. Um, but I think it's really um, it's 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 lovely that we work within a, a team that's all got the same um you know goal at the end of the day and um, so through that we do have a lot of good quality data that we can share externally but then we might also use it internally as a result of because how did both of you come to your job so vicky to start us off what's your background before you came to this um well because how would you get into <laughs> well i'll start off um, i mean i joined the trust in 1998 came into this role um sorry i came into the trust on a YTS scheme through Northumbria Police. YTS, that's uh, a throwback, a, a long time ago, I know. That was like a youth <laughs> trainee scheme or something. And, and my placement was in ENT with the ENT secretaries. Um, I then did a couple of years in oral surgery and orthodontics um, on a reception area there. Um, all clerical, did, you know, business admin kind of NVQs and things. Um, then I went into my role in pathology, which is where I was for 17 years. Um, in that role, I started off as like a higher clerical officer, sort of running a reception area, a really busy reception area where it was all done manually. Everything was sort of keyed into the computer. Um, and then over a number of years, um, I was um, you know, promoted to like an admin manager. We then um, got this system called ICE, which was enabled GPs to order pathology requests, um, like, like, a, like an online ordering kind of method so you would click a button and it would send a message to the lab so it would take away a level of um you know clerical admin input and so i was involved in that um you know before 2013 and then um we would the whole pathology service was treated over to gatehead so um pathology although um meditech this is our hospital clinical system Although Meditech was the, the lab system, it was used at Gateshead, South Tyneside and Sunderland. Um, and when I went back, I came back from maternity leave and um, my role then was more into like an IT data quality role in, in pathology, um, where I was responsible for testing all of the ICE interfaces because it was a new organisation, so they all had to be rebuilt. Um, and, and that process, like I say, it was testing all of these scenarios to see if a request came in from this um, ICE system into this one Meditech lab system, how does it react? Does it does the patients link up? Do all of the requests um sort of match what happens if the demographics are slightly different from this hospital to that hospital? What would happen in that scenario? And um it will create new patients and and, and then it, it just opened a whole raft of rules um and how these interfaces were supposed to speak to each other. Um and I found it really um, really interesting but it was really hard work at the same time because it was repetitive and things weren't working and you had a lot of responsibility to make sure that these patients were, were matching accurately to the correct patient records um, so I did that for a number of years until we got that over the line um, and like I said by this point I was really sort of like fascinated by the systems how they talk to each other and um, how they can influence um, demographic changes and stuff like that 
Um, and then I was contacted by somebody who worked here at the time. I mean, I'm from Sunderland, mm. so travelling at Gateshead was a little bit of a chew, but it wasn't the, you know, the worst thing in the world. Um, and they said there was a job coming up here. So I came and had a chat with Emma, who's my line manager now, Emma Hubbard. And um, I just really liked what she was telling us about the job. And I thought, you know, it's close to home. Um, so I applied. Um, Got an and no behold, you got it. <laughs> well, it was a bit of a funny day actually because I was twenty minutes late for my interview, and um, you know when you just think you've you've knacked it already. Yeah. But I was in quite a nice job in my last role. I thought it was on a bit of a like a pretty number, like, yeah. Yeah. And, and I knew what I was doing. I was really competent and confident in my last role. But um, it wasn't until Emma Dastas sort of you know at the, the end of your interview, um, what like do you have any questions for me? And um, I'd said, um, well, yeah, like, I knew Emma from a previous role and I knew she'd yeah. been in the organisation for a long time. And I just said, um, like, why are you still here? Like, why do you stay in this organisation? And our response was just like heartwarming. She was just like, you know, I'm a Sunderland girl. I follow the Sunderland football team. Me, me kids live in Sunderland. My family lives in Sunderland. Like, I'm serving my family and friends. And you know when you're just like, oh, did it make you oh yes yeah this is like i want to be in this team so it was lovely and i just so she ended up giving you the sell at the end of your interview she did she sold the job to me and um and it wasn't until that point that you know when you really want something you come yeah. out of it and i went oh god i was late i was late for the interview i've knocked it up i'm not going to get it now and, and i wanted it at that point so i was just absolutely over the moon when she offered us the job and since then um yeah, like I've been here and I really enjoy it. And I do tend to stay in jobs for a long time. So mm -hmm. I see myself here for... Forever. Sort of the, yeah, for the foreseeable. Uh -huh. I love it. I love the people who I work with. Mm -hmm. I love the work that we do. Um, yeah, so I'm, that, oh. that's how I'm here. Excellent. Ruth, your journey into the team is is quite different, isn't it? Yes, very different. Um, so I had a total career change. I'd worked in um, buying and merchandising prior to coming into this role. Um, I was really keen on getting in a place within the NHS environment, but it wasn't as easy for me as it was for Vicky. <laughs> sorry, Vicky. Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Headhunted over there. Um, <laughs> but sometimes there are just different ways in, and this is the thing. There isn't a yeah. set rule to coming into... Exactly. The NHS is there, in, yeah. in probably in loads of different jobs. Yeah, I mean, my uh, my career started when I was 18. Um, I got enrolled in a scholarship. I was very lucky and I was succeeded in gaining a scholarship. And that was um, with the Arcadia Group, which was then owned by Sir Philip Green. Mm -hmm. So we're talking Topshop, Doris Perkins, Burton's, exactly. Miss Selfridge. Yes, mm -hmm. precisely, yeah. Um, Did you get a discount? Oh, we got free clothes, basically, because oh. that was a different... That was, We called them samples. Okay. But anyway, that's Sorry. another story, <laughs> which we could go on for days. Um, but yeah, so I went to London at a very young age and came from what I would call a relatively normal background. Some people would say that it's a working class background. I'm, I'm not bothered. Um, but it was a great background either way. Um, and it was thrown into this world of my new roommate was, um, she had been at private school since she was nine. So it was very different, um, put it that way. Um, started my career with the Arcadia group and basically stayed along those lines and ended up starting out in kind of more going along the lines of the buying route but ended up in the merchandising route which shows probably a little bit more about why I love analytics and that's kind of who I am um, and probably makes you realise all right I see how you've ended up in this role because I suppose a lot of people would think how on earth has that transferred to this um, but over the years I just found that I was getting kind of 
over it in a sense of every season we would just be going through snipping away at costs trying to get you know more for your money constantly trying to drive up profit and it really felt soulless for me mm. but in the end um I started to get a bigger team and and that did help for a little a little while as I as I grew and became more senior because then you kind of caring about other people within your team and you want your dynamics change your dynamics yeah. change and that did offer some um something that I was missing you know over that time uh, basically but then um I came into lockdown uh in maternity and I, it, at that point my job was at risk of redundancy and all I could think about throughout that process was I really hope I get made redundant. <laughs> and you probably Which, think given that we all spend our whole days wanting to keep our jobs, it's a really different <laughs> approach, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and um, I think for me it was really a sign that I, I was over it and I was done. Um, and probably people have probably listened thinking, well, yeah, you've just had a baby, that's probably why no one wants to go back. That was my third baby, so it wasn't as if it was some suddenly a change in dynamics that I became a mother. Um, obviously, I am a mother first, but I'm definitely a working mother, if that mm. makes sense. So it wasn't that. Um, I knew that there was something else. I found out that I didn't lose my job, but then I decided that I wasn't going to go back anyway, which, you know, ha ha, that'll teach them. They won't have to pay me to leave. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure they were really bothered but about you just, that. But it gave you, the ch- gave you the chance to think about what's next for you. It, precisely, yeah. Uh, and I had, did learn a lot of skills as well within uh, within that time. Um, and a lot of it was working with data, raw sets of data, coming to an answer with data. And, and all we had was raw sets of data and trying to make a pattern out of it. So you can sort of see how the lines came together. Now, originally, I wanted to get into nursing, but I had no patient care experience. So I was flatline refused to get onto a degree in nursing. You know, I was told that you're not going to get in here. And I totally understand why. You've got to start somewhere, haven't you? <laughs> yes, and that's yeah. frustrating, I guess. Uh, yeah, uh, and I, I think you kind of expect it to be handed onto a plate, but it's not like that at all. Like I, I think the jobs within the NHS, you, sometimes, you know, they might be a little bit more difficult to get get in but then they're looking for the right person you have to remember that you have to show them that you are that the right fit for this organization because it is a very special organization um but yeah so anyway i ended up working at 111 um part-time and i did about six months there and that really and i'm sure if there's any again nurses especially listen to this they'll just be laughing when i say that it gave me an experience of, of facing patients head yeah. on because i'll probably it's say just on the phone but, <laughs> yeah. but you get to have that human contact yeah, with somebody. you get to exactly. have the conversation and I think I just really had so much respect at that mm. point for clinicians, um, particularly nurses, and just in terms of what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. Because obviously you're dealing with poorly people, but you're, de- you're also dealing with people who are very vulnerable. You're dealing with people who are who are frustrated because they're not getting where they want to be and they're very poorly and you're adding all that to the mix. And it is, it's, it's, I think you have to be a very special person to become a nurse and I absolutely definitely think that the hurdles that we have to go through now is I understand why. So I kind of at that point realised, right, well, I'm, I'm not cut out for nursing, but I've got these skills and I know I want to do something that's going to at least make some impact somewhere. Um, and then I found the role for a data analyst and I was literally going home for that role. I mean, I rang, <laughs> I rang the head of the department to introduce myself. I literally was going for it. Like out of the blue? To- well, it, the number is always on, uh, the, on the application, right, okay. but... I- I think he was a little bit surprised yeah and um I, I rang him explained what i'd done because i didn't want to just send over a cv because mm. i hadn't worked previously because it was trying to connect the dots to understand to get an understanding of what i've done and how i can apply that within this setting um and so anyway went through the interview process 
felt really confident about it online Vicky and I didn't get the job <laughs> and I was like what and I was so good about it and I think that was probably one of the first times that's happened not as, as if I haven't got a big head Vicky will say I do but anyway oh, that's another topic <laughs> but um, you're confident in, in your confidently role in a sense I think when I when I didn't get the job it, it was the best thing that could have happened to us because it really confirmed this is definitely what I want to do I could definitely see myself coming into information services and supporting the team and being part of this team part of this culture and like trying to add value where I can and then luckily somebody else left the their post within that team and it was essentially the same role so they were able to offer me the second best candidate for that role and I was so pleased obviously I I took about two seconds to say yes (laughs) Uh, and that's it I've been here since then so it's definitely been worth it yes it has been um you know it hasn't been straight in the door you've got Mm -hmm. a job um the NHS is looking for people with experience and I get that as well but the I think they are becoming more open to people that have maybe have transferable skills as well and I definitely think it's, it's worth trying to go for it if, if you've got a passion for it if you feel that it's something inside of you saying oh I feel like I, I want to do something but I don't know what but I feel like so we're making a difference without having those clinical skills exactly exactly yeah that's exactly it um yeah. yes yeah um so that's that's my bottom line story. And so, no, no, I think I think I think, it's, I think it's really interesting because you would think it would just be kind of like academia followed by some kind of yeah. more training followed by a life looking at data but it's not the case is it no i think there is, there is that as well i mean I, i've got a degree as well i am i have got so what's your degree in my degree my own degree is in accounts and finance oh, all right um, so i did not say that coming even though it seems really obvious yeah it, you do a degree does help uh, i think actually a degree is is necessary to be honest um for this role so that's definitely something you would need to consider um oh i think there's another one as well that you might know more about this where you get to a certain level within a healthcare like is it in information services Qualification. Don't know. Something I'm sure we can like find that. out. What yeah. Share. Um, which are the people yeah. who are listening may have already achieved that. Um, what's your new role going to be if you're a data analyst now? What What's your new title going to be? So my new title is going to be I'm going to be a senior performance analyst. So it's a little bit of a step up. I'm moving on a secondment basis. Right. Um, so it's a year secondment, and that will be doing kind of what we touched on earlier. So it's going to be more about being more proactive, really channeling in on specific areas. So, I mean, in this last year alone, I've dealt with 371 ad hocs. As you can imagine, it's few and far between, which is amazing when you're first starting out. I think that's really good because you get to grips with, not so much the deep end, but you certainly get to test the waters in every area, so you get a good overall understanding. So if I was to explain it visually, this is about focusing probably more on a specific area now, then really getting to know their data and then risk assessing that. So looking at it and saying, right, I think this could happen or this has got potential. So it's like you're going to predict where we're going and what we need to do to make sure we're ready. Hopefully, but don't hold me to that, Fiona. Okay, well, we'll find out. out. Um, Because what, what what do you both enjoy most about what you do? Like, what's the thing that gives you the buzz? I think for me, it's the variety, the, the, the different, like I can come into work and I've got my standard things that I have to do. There's a level of validation. We've got a lot of checks to do. We need to make sure that things are, mm-hmm. this, you know, but then an email can drop in and it's just, it just starts off like a new project. You've got to go and work with the service, figure out what the data requirements are and um, something that you've never touched on before. So it's just like, right, throw yourself in at the deep end. Who do I need to speak with? 
what, what and you've just got to figure it out you've just got to be like really adapt to what their needs are and um and and for us it's um like at the moment we've got new data sets that we've got to review and make sure that that information's available in the system so we've got to kind of pinpoint right what, what are they asking from us We've got this NHS data dictionary to make sure that um, all of the data items... Yes, I looked that up. Oh, you, you, you mentioned yes. it in a chat before this and I, I was none the wiser, but... Yeah, you, you need a little bit of training to use it, I think. But um, no, the data dictionary, all it basically does is talks about like, different data items um, and it's recognised across the whole of the NHS to make sure that we're all kind of talking the same language. Exactly, yeah. And it's the perception of, of what this particular field means. And if it's a mandatory field that we need for some of our external submissions, we've got to make sure that that information is recordable in our clinical system. So it's about working with IT, with the service, um, promoting the use of it, why is it important, what we're going to use that information for, making sure that it's, it's mandatory, that it's not just like a nice-to-have kind of data item. Um, so like I say, so there's, there's loads of things that we just, we've just got to throw ourselves into and just try and make it work I guess yeah um so I like the variety variety and there's just loads going on and presumably you come across loads of different people in both roles like oh, you yeah. don't know who you're going to be talking to to one day mm-hmm. to the next yeah super interesting and so much to learn as well um yeah. from those people I mean you can learn something new in this role every day is that least. what you really like about it yeah oh just yeah stuff. I absolutely love that love that new learning aspect love that everyone's so open as well and you know, willing to share their their knowledge as well. That's really good. It's not. It's it's rare. It's not always given. Um, but also, I, I personally love the fast paced nature of ad hocs for me. Um, mm-hmm. I love the you know the quite tight, quite tight deadlines. The tight deadlines. The need to get the data. Um, like when I come to you, I was like, this journalist deadline is tomorrow. Yeah, that's if that's a if that's a, a more generous one. <laughs> um, so it can be quite stressful, I guess, at times trying to yeah it can, get things done. It can be if you if you want to call it that. It depends. People either love that or hate that. I think. Um, but yeah, you, you do need to give an answer and sometimes you can't give an answer and that's difficult sometimes to relay in a stressful situation because the other person might need it and it's frustrating for them as well. So um, you do try your best. Um, but yeah, I think for me, the fast paced nature of it is definitely my main area that I, that I love. Um, and I think the most enjoyable bits of work that I've done are the ones that have actually made a difference to the clinical team, especially things around resource building, funding, anything like that, any ad hoc that I might get in that's to support what we would call um, within the NHS a business case is amazing because then you're seeing that the figures are truly supporting a wider picture in improving patient care, um, which I mentioned earlier, it, it really is, literally. So I've seen <laughs> a couple of business cases and it kind of, you get a load of figures about we do this many procedures in this place, we do this many procedures in this place, but we're going to put them all in one place and how is that going to make things better? So that's an example of how data can kind of back up a project that moves things forward mm-hmm. that yeah. in turn make a difference to the people who come through our door and also work for us because it will make a difference to how their day-to-day job is. Definitely, So yeah. you, you kind of see those, like when you see projects happening, it must be like, ah, I know all about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, uh-huh. but obviously we can't talk about that. No, <laughs> no, 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 but, you, but, but you, you, can, you can kind of see, see things the work that you put in resulting in changes for the better. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. And it is a little internal dance, as we've said, you know, it's not something that you go out with your mates and have wine over and, you know... You'll never get (laughs) one. It's not not that. It's it's more an internal dance, knowing that someone that you know might be benefiting from that one day. Mm. It might be yourself. Your health's Mm -hmm. the most important thing in the world, isn't it, really? Nothing quite... What are the big challenges, though? What do you both 
find the most kind of tough bit? Changes in, in sort of the data. Mm -hmm. So I find um, you think you've just got it nailed and then there'll be a new request, a new additional piece of information that you need. And it's almost like starting again sometimes. I find that sometimes a little bit disheartening. And mm -hmm. um, sometimes I find projects are going a long time so when you mentioned that yes. these quick speedy things like seeing things from beginning to end is just such a satisfying yes. feeling sometimes when things go on a long time because it's not somebody else's priority and you do rely heavily on other people's engagement mm -hmm. so if you don't have that engagement that can be really like that can be a struggle so getting the right people involved at the right time and making it their priority I would say is like really like negotiating skills like that's necessary yeah, for this role like getting people engaged in what you're trying to achieve so you've got to kind of appeal to people's better nature yeah. to get them to help uh -huh. you yeah right got to be yes. quite likable um <laughs> so you've got to turn the charm Pens. on and, and, and put a good <laughs> argument foot forward yeah yeah we'll try we'll try our best yeah. um so i think they're, they're the challenges i yeah. guess what do you find it the the tough bit I think, um, obviously, equally fast turnaround, especially with FOIs, freedom of information requests, you know, I get them. I, I understand them. I, understand I used to write them, yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, yeah, but it's also sometimes difficult because you're interpreting what the request has asked mm. you. And then, especially, and I think it's it's almost amusing when you then have that discussion if you need it with a consultant and they're kind of saying what they ask and it just doesn't make any sense at all. Like, no, because the thing about FOIs is you've almost got to know that the answer is there before you ask the question. Yeah. So, for example, if I used to put one in about, um, let's just say, speeding, speeding figures. Yes. Well, I need to know that there will be speeding figures for a particular road, for, road, for example. But if there's no speeding figures, there's no answer. And sometimes that's really hard when you think there's going to be an answer and there isn't. Yeah, I get so, that, but sometimes I think they can sometimes be overcomplicated in the terminology that's used and they lose the point a little bit, so there is that element to it Because if well. you don't ask your question the right way, you don't get your answer. That's the thing about them, isn't it? Well, I'm not too sure about that. There's a whole, I mean, we could probably do a whole other piece on that in itself. <laughs> there's, there's loads of things on YouTube just talking about freedom of information. Actually, the ones that I found most useful are going on the other end of it, so from... From your journalist side of it, from a question. journalist's point of view, what can you actually ask and what mm. gets sent back? Yeah, exactly. Some things they come in and you just think, you know, what is the point? And I'm being honest there, and how, how is this going to help anyone, this information? Um, other ones come in and you think, yeah, that's fair enough. And we always obviously have to answer them and we answer them, you know, honestly. But it can be frustrating if it's not supporting what we do is a bigger picture and you're spending time on something and we're not really getting a clear answer or we don't know if it's adding value. Um, the other side that I think can be frustrating is kind of what you're putting on the ears. It's just standardisation and it's just getting to that point of standardisation. Now we are going through a massive project of change at the moment to get things standardised, which is something that um, a gentleman in our team called Alex Case is heading up. So he's doing a, 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 a massive project on getting everything together, getting everything um, standardised. We when we're talking about data dictionary, there I use data dictionary a lot because it is a good way of standardising data. For example, you can get, I think, off the top of my head, um, six emergency admissions. Prior to coming into NHS, you would think, well, it's an emergency admission or it's an ordinary admission. What's the difference? But actually, mm. there's actually six different types of emergency admission. So it is a little bit mind-blowing. So it's really important that we're all singing off the same hymn sheet in that sense, in that way, categorising these cohorts of patients in the same way. Um, so we are getting to that point. And I think because the team has expanded so much, probably over um, the last few years, particularly with with the pandemic it has really shone a light on data and how useful data can be um so i think it's exciting times for us but also challenges within that and getting that right um 
but yeah that's pretty much the the major things for me um apart from that I do genuinely really love my job I'm sure but yeah I think you're kind of the same as well aren't you mm-hmm. really yeah we're a bit of um super enthusiastic yeah, maybe too enthusiastic. Yeah. It's probably the cringe. <laughs> it's my way. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, but, um, if somebody's sitting listening to this thinking, oh, I want to find out more, or, or is this something I can do? What kind of skills and character, like what, what do you have to be to, to work in this area? Like, do you have to have particular kind of aptitude for something in particular, or do you just have to be driven in a particular way? Like, for example, do you have to be super nosy? Like, or do you have to be really good at cataloguing stuff like what kind of things do you need to be able to work in these areas in our area for data quality assurance i think there's a range of, of different skills i think every and we need to acknowledge that everybody brings something different to the table we've got people who are really methodical and mm-hmm. um, that are very sort of structured and disciplined with the way they work they've got um and it's lovely to follow people like that i'm not like that i'm the complete polar opposite i'm sort of a bit crazy and creative i would think yeah. and ideas kind of person um but i've got people around us who see things through to the end and they get things sort of like, so you get kind things of con- over the almost line. like the conductor yeah like i say i've got people yeah. who are um really good with like sort of some people would say see it as like laborious tasks that are big long lists of checking data our guys, a lot of them are working from home, so they log on at this time, do 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 the rattle through lists, the fast, the efficient, that like I say, that and you can just rely on them mm-hmm. to get through those really big volume numbers of checking and correcting, and that's what they're great at. So we've got a range of different um different skills. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think you need that in any team, don't you? You need Absolutely. a mix of personalities. I don't think it's really about personalities. Um not no, definitely agree with you on that one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, as we mentioned, you definitely need a degree, at, um, at, certainly at data analyst level, but apart from that... Is that just to give you the skills of being able to like do it at that academic level? Like, um, I guess so. To I kind of sure. prove it, yeah. I mean, I think we'd probably have to ask HR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then I'm not sure what my degree's worth, really. Yeah, but, but you, pr- you prove that you can hit that level, Possibly, basically. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I just saw that, you know, a bit clearer, but... Um, I think analytical experience in any type of forms role. I mean, if you when you think about myself, yes, it has been a journey to get here. Was it worth it? Absolutely worth it. I would do it again, you know, tomorrow. Um, but it just goes to show if you're sitting at home and you have got analytical experience, if you're wanting to look at this area specifically, because there will be other non-clinical roles, by the way, out there for people that don't have these skills. Um, but any type of performance role, anything like that, that you really want to make more of an impact for, for people, then I would definitely have a look. Um, I think having great attention to detail, regardless of your personality, yeah, is absolutely. definitely important. Mm-hmm. Looking at patterns. Um, accuracy. Accuracy, yeah. excellent judgment, concern, and anything to do with the management of data is, is absolutely key. Um, passion for quality health. Um, yeah. Just, a, in, you know, a, a passion to want the best for everyone um, mm-hmm. equally. Um, I think that's really important. Um, and just being interested in continuous self-development as well. There's a lot of training in the NHS, which is amazing. Um, and again, that's something that you, you take for granted, probably if you're within the organisation, but if you aren't within the organisation, it's not something that everyone's privy to. Um, you, you, there's just an abundance of training available. Um, especially at the moment, we have got some special extra um training going on at the moment. Um, and you can pretty much do. Yes, it has to be related to the role, but 
I certainly think with my managerial team they're quite flexible if you can say I, I think this will be really useful because, uh, for me because of put your they're forward. quite open to that yeah and you can ask anyone anything if I I know that if I came to Vicky Vicky's a very senior member of our team and said Vicky I don't get this she would happily support me and I think that's an amazing culture to be in you don't feel as though you can't talk to that person yeah. and mm. this person can't help you and you must know that's this that's good for somebody like me who looks at figures and it's literally just number soup like, yeah. it's really good to know that there's somebody we can speak to and say, I don't understand this data. Can you explain to me? What am I looking at? Um, and it just must be mm-hmm. really lovely to be able to turn around to a colleague and say, I need some help. Yeah. I, know, I, I want to do this better. I think there is that here, absolutely. I think yeah. what's really interesting as well is, is a lot of the training within my team has all been supported by this organisation. Mm-hmm. So we've got um, some of our clerical officers who've done um, business admin, apprenticeships, um, when they first started, they're still really happy in this role. We've had people who've done leadership programmes and they've gone off into better jobs elsewhere in the trust. Um, we've just had Helen, um, she's just completed a level five in, um, what was it, a level departmental manage, manager role. Who knew um, that even existed? Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and I did my degree yeah. through this trust as well. Yeah. And I just think that the level of support, um, you know, time out, in for those courses as well yeah, it's exactly it is it's a really um it's it's a privilege like you say yeah yeah it, yeah, it is it's it's, a, it's just a lovely place to be and and it's nice to know that we've been able to develop those staff as well yeah like we've kind of like we've grown our own team yeah and we're bringing and them that retains people and it does. brings in new people mm-hmm. as well. and we're, like ruth has mentioned we've got this skills development network and um, training academy that that we do internally that um you know is upskilling our staff in, in all of the right ways, mm-hmm. statistics, analytical, um, project management, there's loads of opportunities there for us to do that. Um, and, and I've never known this level of um, like learning, development, continuous learning. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, been, it's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we've got a job section on our website, so if anybody's interested and they want to find out more, uh, there is the NHS Jobs website, which is national, and you can put in all your different kind of details about where you want a job and it'll bring up everything available. But also our website has loads of information on it, so if anybody is listening, they can just, it's right in the centre there. People can have a look and see what we've got available and I suppose keep an eye out for roles if this is something they are interested in. Yeah, we've got yeah, quite definitely. a lot of vacancies. I feel like we're really thin on the ground at the moment, so... <laughs> I'm hoping that we're going to have some more vacancies coming up. Well, there you go. There's your plug. If this is something yeah. you're interested in, come and have a look. Think about joining us. Absolutely. Find out what it takes. Put your application form in. Absolutely. Excellent. I just want to say a big thank you for giving us an insight into your roles. It's really interesting. Thank, thank you. you. It's been great. Thanks for joining us for this episode of our People podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and check out our other stories. Hit subscribe to keep up with the latest and catch up with what we've been up to on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for our name.